anybody that is submitting a 510k has to be using eStar now. Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Hey guys, 2024 is right around the corner, so now is the time to upgrade your software stack. There's never been a better time to check out Greenlight Guru's quality and clinical solutions that are purpose-built for the medtech industry. Greenlight Guru solutions have been proven to deliver a 50% reduction in time spent on design and development documentation, a 50% reduction in time spent preparing for audits, and much more. Greenlight Guru has been named the number one medical quality management system by G2. So sign up for a demo today at greenlight.guru forward slash demo greenlight.guru slash demo. And for a limited time, we will give you a free quality manual. Let us know what you think. Greenlight.guru forward slash demo. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Global Medical Device Podcast. My name is Etsy Nichols. I'm the host for today's podcast. Today, we have a little bit different episode. Usually, we have uh, a one-on-one conversation with somebody, but today it's it's three against one. Uh, maybe not three against one, but we have three specialists in the area of e-star that we want to talk about. So that is Patrick Axtell, who's a PhD and assistant director on the tools and template team for the FDA, and Kathy Herzog, for, uh, the senior regulatory quality and compliance consultant for Duval and Associates, and Lisa Pritchard, the vice president of regulatory quality, clinical and engineering for Duval and Associates. I'm want, I would love to hear just a 30-second intro uh, or origin story from each of you. If you want to go around table, Patrick, maybe we could start with you. Sure. Uh, thank you for inviting us, Etienne. Uh, my name is Patrick Axtell. I oversee the team that develops tools and templates for the Center for Devices and Radiological Health at the FDA. Uh, I developed the 510K Smart Template used by reviewers to review 510Ks, and I developed the 510K E-Star uh, for applicants to use when preparing their submissions for us. And before doing this, I was a reviewer for about seven years. Awesome. Really appreciate you being on the podcast today. Um, Lisa, what about you? Oh, thanks for inviting us. Uh, I'm Lisa Pritchard. I, as you said, I'm vice president of regulatory quality, clinical and engineering, kind of a mouthful for Duval and Associates, which is a boutique law firm that specializes in helping companies um, go through the FDA process. And I have been in the regulatory space for a bit over 30 years at this point. So I re- remember submissions well before the E-Star came into play and pretty excited about how it's changing things. That's that's great. I really appreciate you being on the podcast. I love to hear that kind of experience. Uh, Kathy, what about you? What is your origin story? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. And hello, everyone out there. My name is Kathy Herzog. I am a regulatory consultant also at Duval and Associates. I've been on board with this FDA law firm for about four years. My whole career has been in the medical device industry, primarily class two, class three devices. And my background is as a mechanical engineer. All right. That's that's mine too. So mechanical is the best if you <laughs> ask me. So, okay. I first 
was kind of introduced to the presentation you all put together on uh, ESTAR and I at the Regulatory Affairs Professional Society, the RAPS Convergence in September, I think it was. I didn't get to go to it, which is why I'm excited that we get to have this conversation now. But I wonder if if uh, you could tell us a little bit about the story behind ESTAR and I and how that came about. I would be happy to talk about that. Um, so, I mean, Kathy and I are both regulatory professionals at Duval and Associates. And when the ESTAR program came out and became voluntary for 510Ks and DeNovos, we started using it just to get some experience with it before it was required. And once we started diving into it, we recognized that this was a really great topic to turn into one of our client alerts, which is just something that our company puts out on topics that are of interest to the to the regulatory or legal community dealing with FDA. Um, as you people may or may not know, usually when Duval and Associates put something out, we um, come up with a theme for it just to give it a little bit more um, entertainment value than regulatory and legal usually lends itself to. Um, when we were kind of brainstorming the topics for this one, probably the easiest one was an E-star is born, um, which I think I've seen somewhere online. But we ended up rejecting that one just because it the movie has kind of a dark side to it and we wanted it to be more... Um, upbeat, I guess. So we ended up landing on the E-Star and I, um, which is kind of a spoof of the classic Broadway musical, The King and I, um, which seemed to be a much more natural fit. Um, if you know the story of that, it tells the story of the King of Siam, who was just fascinated with science and innovation. Um, he he was kind of on a mission to modernize his country and, um, you know, searched for looking for someone to, to care for his kids. He hired Anna, who was a school teacher, uh, and through her really increased the knowledge and the innovation throughout the country. So we saw that as a corollary to the E-Star program, which, you know, might not seem so apparent to everybody, but sometimes we make a stretch. Um, but in our version, we thought that FDA played a corollary to the king um, because FDA was wanting to use new technologies and modernize the submission process. How they are achieving that one way, at least, is through the ESTAR program. So we think of the ESTAR program as playing the part of Anna, the school teacher. Um when we started going out and talking about it, we we decided to capitalize on the headline song from the from the musical, um, which I don't know if you guys all want to sing it, but the the getting to getting to know you, getting to know all about you, getting to like you, getting to hope you like me, you know. Maybe we'll put a link to uh, the the song. Yeah, we, we could do that for sure. <laughs> um, and so we used the getting to know you as just kind of introducing the basics of the E-Star program and then the getting to know all about you as kind of diving into it, how to actually use it, getting to like you, 
you know, how to achieve the advocacy in your submission, how to really make the E-Star work for you. And then the getting to hope you like me uh, you know, was the final part. After you submit it, hoping that FDA is going to like what you put together um, and kind of what to understand from the review process. So that's kind of how we came up with the the concept of the E-Star and I. Um, for us, it just kind of creates a fun way to talk about the program. Um, for me personally, I am secretly hoping that my parents, who were both active in community musical theater, are looking down and you know maybe smirking that their their introverted engineer daughter, who would never be caught dead in in a musical, is able to communicate in this mechanism. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, and now you're on a podcast, so hundreds of people will hear you. So, (laughs) yeah, don't tell don't tell me that. Well, we'll put uh, we'll put definitely put a link in the show notes to your client alerts because I think those are very valuable. Even on, I mean, there's lots of different. I don't know if you have thirty or forty. It seemed like last time I looked at your website, I'm not sure how many you have, but um, those are. I'm not sure how many we have either, but we there are a lot of them, and on a lot of key topics. You know, another real. Popular one is our 510K series and our pre-sub series are kind of must-reads for regulatory people. So Yeah. Um, so, okay. So that's kind of the history of how you came up with the idea of E-Star and I, but let's talk about E-Star itself. What's the, what's the history of E-Star and maybe what prompted it, um, how it came about? Uh, and, and maybe I'd look to you, Patrick, or whoever wants to jump in um, on this one. Yeah, I can handle that one. Um, it's kind of two parts. Uh, the history is more of the the how it came about to be the way it is, why a PDF, why it's not in some other format like ECTD or a web form. Um, and that story has kind of an, an internal and external story that leads up to it. Uh, but the other part about what prompted is kind of the more of the why. Why do we make it? And so I'll focus on that first and let me know if you want me to go describe the how afterwards. But uh, the why is really the same reason why we had to make internal smart templates for reviewers. You know, first off, we wanted to make sure that the submissions were comprehensive uh, and that they were getting fully reviewed. So we wanted to make sure that the submission contained all the information it needed to ensure that, you know, uh, the device was safe and did not adversely affect public health. Um, There's also the automation aspect where there's a whole lot in the submission preparation process as well as the review process that we knew we could automate with these types of templates. And so we did that. And so there's a lot of benefit there to saving time, both by the applicant and the reviewer. There are also these internal guides that walk the applicant through the process of completing, you know, different sections like biocompatibility and EMC and so on. And those sections help the applicant, you know, know what needs to be provided and it also guides the reviewer on reviewing that that content and what those guides also do is it's it's interpreting our policies our guidance and regs um for both the applicant and the reviewer so that they're interpreting them the same way and not you know misinterpreting or doing it differently which happened in the past so there's that benefit as well uh there's also the standardization of the structure so you get a more standardized submission um and you also have a more standardized review template and so Standardized submission means that the reviewer can quickly find information in that submission um, because, you know, everything's placed the same way in every submission. And I can tell you as an ex-reviewer, the thing that took the most time was simply finding different information that you're looking for in the submission since 
It could be formatted in all sorts of different ways. A table of contents has actually never been required in a submission. I got submissions that didn't have it, made it pretty complex. It's also a benefit for uh, the review attempt to be standardized because future reviewers can then go back and quickly find information in those review templates as well. Um, also, when you have templates for both applicants and reviewers, you know they complement each other. All the questions in eStar complement and match the questions that are in the smart template. So the reviewer is getting what they're expecting and the applicant knows that they're providing what the reviewer is expecting. So there's that benefit as well. And there are other benefits I won't go into. Uh, one, and there's some that have not actually been realized yet. For example, all the benefits that come with structured data. You know, we're getting all these structured all this structured data in eStar. There's all sorts of things we can do with that that we haven't been able to do just yet. And we're working on that. For example, automating the login process. Right now with eStar and eCopies that come in, your submission it comes in and someone's actually transcribing all the information manually from your submission, typing it into a tracking system. They're taking the documents and they're packaging them, they're converting them, they're doing all this manual processing and such. With the structured data, we can automate that whole process. And that provides a whole lot of benefits in the sense that, um, you know, if you're trying to provide a document uh, at the very end of the review, and it's it's pretty big. You can't provide that over email. You know, we don't have access to Box and Google Docs, and that becomes difficult if it's too large to send it over email. With this system, since if we can automate the login process, that speeds up that process. And so, with the CDRH portal where you submit electronically, we can make it potentially such that once you submit on the portal, the reviewer gets that whatever it is, whatever size it's. Uh, and there are other benefits as well with structured data. For example, we could automate the 510k summary, for example. You know, we we collect all the 510k summary information in eStar in structured fields that correlate with 807 uh, regulation 807.92. You know, we could collect all those in structured and put those on the 510k website. Right now on the 510k website, we post the 510k summary document and the indications for use document, and those aren't really searchable. What you can do with this is if you're posting the structured data on the 510k site, Indications for use is now there in a structured format. So is all so are all the parts of the 5 case summary, like for example, the technology comparison summary. And so all those fields can now be searchable by applicants as well, providing that big benefit. Not only, you know, the automation aspect that's there too. And then of course the reviewer doesn't have to worry about extracting the 5 case summary or the indications for use and packaging it up. You know, that all goes away. So we, there's all sorts of ways we can simplify and make the process much more efficient um, with what we're doing with eStar. And, you know, as a reviewer, I would have loved to have had something like eStar. Um, you know, having a structured format like that, that's standardized, that matches my template. It was talked about back when I was a reviewer about wanting something like this. And I think it's great we now actually have something that's working for us. That's cool. And I'm, I'm glad whoever is putting this together, well, such so as yourself, has that experience as a reviewer too. I think that's really cool. And I think that speaks to uh, the value that, that it's going to bring. It, so you while you were talking, there was a rabbit trail that I kind of thought about, and and I didn't necessarily prep this question for you guys. It just popped in my head. I know there's been a, a, an executive order on AI and driving that down through uh, through the system. Is that a a potential use of AI? It seems like this could be a good use case. I don't know if that's been talked about or thought about yet. And feel free to punt. This wasn't, yeah. No, 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 no need to punt. Um. So in order, so first catch with how the government works, we need what's called an ATO, an authority to operate for any software. And so we got we haven't been able to get access to any AI applications yet. We can't, you know, we cannot 
provide our internal proprietary information right. to an AI, that would be very bad, right? So <laughs> they have, the, I think Microsoft's got an AI set up that's specifically for government use that it's for private use. We haven't been able to get access to that yet, um, but we do have lots and lots of ideas for what we can use AI for beyond eStar. Mostly it's for the reviews. So using it for looking at uh, the def deficiencies and doing things there. Um, there's all sorts of different uses, but we got to play with it first to be able to know what actually will work and what actually will not work. Yeah, for sure. So um, maybe another question that I'm curious about is how's how's the industry received eStar? E uh, it, it seems like anytime something new comes along, people are going to complain about it. People are going to finally begrudgingly use it, and then maybe they love it. But I'm curious how this has been received. I know Kathy and Lisa, you said you've been using it for a long time, early adopters. Uh, how can you speak to that? You know, I think it's hard to know the, the whole pulse of the industry. Our experience in working with clients in the industry is, you know, they're allowing us to take the lead because we're contracted to prepare submissions for them, but we're educating them along the way. I do think to the extent that the eStar is now standardized, like Patrick was mentioning, and the fact that there's a lot of embedded help within the template. So if you are confused on a topic, I find the help section to be really meaningful. It will sometimes clarify like, hmm, I'm not really sure how to answer this question. Usually the help button provides that additional level of information. So I think it can help maybe companies who are not as familiar with 510Ks feel more confident that they're supplying all the necessary information and have a little more insight as to, am I doing this correctly? It doesn't still change the fact that you need to have a full data set, you need to write clearly and articulately, you need to present your best package. You still have a lot of writing behind the scenes, but in terms of taking some of the guesswork out of, hey, is this submission complete? Am I at risk of a refuse to accept? I think the ESTAR has gone a long way to provide increased confidence with the industry. Maybe if I ask one question deeper, um... Are there any strategies? Because you mentioned that help button and, and things that they can get in. I'd like to maybe hear both sides. Um, so Kathy and Lisa, uh, any strategies you recommend and 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 being able to do this well? And maybe from Patrick, some things that maybe you've seen companies not do well, or maybe they've abused it in a certain way. I, I don't know if uh, if who wants to go first, but um, I, I could take a start at some of those strategies. You know, the one thing that you mentioned about maybe people being apprehensive about it and then kind of adopting it. I I definitely fall into that camp that when uh, when FDA first came out with the concept of E-Star and we heard that it was coming down the pike, Patrick, maybe you want to close, cover your ears for this, but I was super apprehensive about it. That I kind of was thinking that it was a mechanism for um, FDA maybe to overreach in controlling how the submissions were prepared. And so it, it kind of was a hurdle for me to get over to um, actually become an adopter of it. And, you know, I think it's a real testimony to, to the work that they put into designing the templates that, you know, now I, I really am a big fan of it. And, you know, I agree with Kathy that all of the health help features that are in it um, go a long way towards that. Um, and, you know, one thing that we noticed is in the help features, if you follow those, you probably are able to eliminate 
50%, if not more, of the common deficiencies that we routinely would see people coming to us with and saying, help us resolve these. Because the, the requests in those help boxes point them out to you. So if you use those um, to your advantage, and, and that's one of my key strategies is to always use those help boxes. Um, I like to use them as kind of a QC check before I do a submission. Just make sure, did I address everything that's in there? Um, and even though I've been doing it over 30 years, doing submissions over 30 years, I still always up open those help boxes because every submission is unique. So each time I want to know what is it that I need to put in there. Um, the other thing that that I strongly recommend is uh, that you begin at the at the beginning of the template. So don't kind of jump around as you're uh, creating it, because since it is an interactive PDF, and Patrick could talk more about that, but if you jump around, I think you're just far more likely to miss something and have the template not populate or not show you a section that you need to complete. Um, like, for instance, if you if you missed um, identifying that your product has software, you're not going to even see the software sections of the template to be able to complete and you could get yourself in trouble that way. So just working from the beginning um, works really well. Um, you know, I think one of the challenges that that we've had to overcome is how do you organize it uh, to be able to work with your internal review teams. So one of the uh, strategies that I like to use is I create a version of the proposed text fields and the attachments. I, I create like word versions of those and work with them outside of the template with the internal review teams um, so that we can track the changes that ever that everybody's making before we get to the final content just because it's really difficult to do that um, just within the pdf version um i think another one i would just i would be reticent not to uh mention is eStar has been is very well designed to provide the evidence that's required in a submission. The, the interaction with all of the guidance documents is kind of mind-blowing. Uh, so when you go out to the, the FDA guidance document database, there are just so many of them out there uh, that that I think is a big challenge for industry to understand what applies to your products. So it does a great job of that, but you, people need to understand that it, it does not include anything about advocacy um, in the template. And, and rightfully so, I don't, I don't think that it could. I, although I think if anybody could figure it out, Patrick would. Um, but I, I, I actually want to ask you, um, yeah. having not... I, having not delved really deeply into eStar, I've looked at it and actually I have in front of me just kind of looking at the, the the cover here. What? How does that interaction with guidance documents work? Can you kind of walk me through that a little bit? 
trick? Do you want to do that? Yeah, I can do that. Um, there's so first off, there there's a it's not just guidance documents is built into it. Um, you know, we've built in a lot of IMDRF documents into it as well, as far as the attachments go. And um, that can I can talk about the history on how Eastrock came about to be the way it is in a PDF and so on, uh, if you would like later. But when it comes to the guidance documents, uh, we build those in as the guides. So you have like the reprocessing guidance document, you have software, EMC, wireless, labeling, you got all these different guidance documents. And we built these in as different sections. And so each guidance has been constructed as this guide that I was referring to earlier. And it walks you through what the guidance document is requesting that you provide. Um, and then there's all sorts of other guidance documents that get built in as maybe a single question or maybe sometimes just help text. Uh, we struggle to try to keep the burden and the number of questions in ESTAR and our internal review templates since they correlate uh, to a bare minimum as much as possible, focusing on only what is absolutely needed. And so those questions are basically what we think are what is absolutely needed, you know, the bare minimum for that standard to or that guidance to, um, you know, fulfill the requirements and recommendations of that guidance. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's great. Very cool. And Elisa, I kind of cut you off, so I don't know if you wanted to continue on with your with your best practices and strategies and tips. No, not not a problem at all. So, I mean, the one thing that I wanted to expand on a little bit was the building advocacy into the submission. And uh, Patrick will probably smirk at this one, but uh, because we bring it up every single time, is we feel at Duval and Associates that the executive summary needs to be considered a mandatory part of the submission. Um, that That is central to um, creating your submission in a way that's telling a story. So you, you are conveying to FDA, to the review team about what your product is, why it's important, why the information that you presented in the submission is there and why it is uh, sufficient to reach the regulatory decision that they need to ponder. Uh, and in, an, in a non-ESTAR submission, we always used the executive summary as kind of a key piece of that, of introducing the story. And in the ESTAR, we also do that, but it is in the template, it is an optional attachment buried at the end of the template within the administrative documents. And so it's not a natural starting place. Um, so we recommend don't consider it uh, optional, but consider it mandatory. And then for the strategy on that to make it work with eStar is reference that in your cover letter so that the review team, the management know that it's there and don't just come to it at the conclusion of the review, but that they recognize that it's there and can be used um, kind of as a starting point to give them a nice foundation on what they're going to read. Um, and then I think the last thing that I was going to say for a strategy is just, you're gonna have questions come up as you start using the eStar templates. And there are so many um, help features available to you. You know, I think the first place that I like to go when I come into something that doesn't quite make sense is a go to the FAQ um, that is built in to the template. And a lot of times that will answer the questions. If it doesn't, the FDA 
has a really nice web page for the ESTAR program. And often you can get the responses there. And then sort of as a last resort is reaching out to the ESTAR staff. And I know people sometimes are hesitant to do that. Um, but I'll say, I think that was probably instrumental in getting me converted to ESTAR is when I was having very early questions and I reached out to the ESTAR staff, they were so phenomenal in their responses. They were just, they were so quick to respond and thorough, provided very helpful input. You could see over time as the new versions of eStar came out, they're working really hard to address the little um, kinks that invariably come up with something kind of this complicated. And so, you know, I just, I can't say enough about Patrick and his team. That's very cool. And, and Patrick, I don't know if you want to speak to, or even Kathy, some of the pitfalls that uh, uh, you've seen companies get. I don't know if it's possible to abuse it, having not, again, not used it extensively myself, um, if if you've seen any of those types of activities where, well, they should have used it differently, or is it built in such a way that it's almost pokey-oaked? I don't know if you want to speak to that. The key with E-Star is E-Start. You just have to get started. <laughs> you got to get familiar with the template. You got to play around with it, exercise all the radio buttons, the pull down menus, explore the entire template, even if some fields are not applicable to your immediate project, because they might be in the future. And it's good to know the whole range of information that may be requested at some point for your device in within the Easter. So first, explore the template. Second, to Lisa's point on best practices, set up a folder structure offline that parallels the section flow that's going to apply to your device. Build your documents um, within those folders. Review those as a team. The very last thing that I do is populate the e-star. I mean, I made the mistake at first of like populating as I went, but then you're constantly trading out attachments. So I learned that you need to really build the entire content offline. And the day of submission, I actually populate it. And I have a folder of all the master attachments in the order that they'll be attached. And you just start populating the template. So that that kind of was a reverse of my thinking. With eCopy, you build as you go. With eStar, you build it offline and then populate the template. Um, good advice. Naming the attachments is important. Um, I think on the navigation pane in Adobe, when you open the attachment pane, you can change how it's shown. It, I think it defaults to alphabetical order. If you want to force attachments in a certain order, then you'd want to put a numerical prefix in front of your file name. That's another way to bump the executive summary to the top, put it as like a 01 or an A. You can also organize them by section. Uh, Patrick, I'm going to put a plug in that it would be really nice if ESTAR counted attachments by section and in total so that we can compare that to our master attachment list and know for sure that every document we intended to attach has found its way to the template. Otherwise, right now I'm manually counting to make sure like if I have 50 attachments that all 50 find their way to eStar because there's not a, a count, you have to do that manually. So that's just a personal plug because one time I missed an attachment, not intentionally, but we thought we had, we had it in there and we didn't. So 
If I could do just an yeah. interjection there, um, if people do have comments or thoughts, maybe not everybody has a direct line to Patrick like you, you and Lisa do. <laughs> what are the thoughts or what are the the recommendations or ways you can comment or suggest improvements? Patrick, uh, me, I can take that one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so their method of getting to me and my team uh, is the same as everyone else. So we have a, an email address in there, which is esubpilot at fda.hhs.gov. Um, it's in the eStar template at the top. It's on the website. Um, we know it's no longer a pilot. Um, we're looking to try to have a forum instead of an email address where just like online forums, you can go type in questions and then search for other people's questions and get your information that way. And then we would you know, man that forum. We're trying to get something like that. It's in development right now. Uh, it's going to go out for internal use only for at first. Um, but yeah, just email e the eStar pilot email address and we're right there. I'm reading those. My team's reading those. My team is as Lisa said, very responsive. We're a great team um, and typically respond within minutes. And awesome. uh, and I would getting back to one of your previous questions, if I can quickly go on to that, which yes. is the, the missteps that applicants take. Well, the questions, so from my perspective, based on the questions that we get in the inbox, the huge majority of missteps um, involve not reading uh, the eStar webpage, not reading the help text and or the directions in eStar, especially the FAQ that Lisa mentioned. Um, the huge majority of questions would be resolved if, if applicants just read that, you know, the website and the content in eStar. And so I highly recommend that folks do that in their first time. Uh, and I think that would address a huge majority of their concerns. Okay, cool. And, uh, Another one I just wanted to put in there for when might be a good time to reach out to Patrick and his team is sometimes within the FDA review process, the reviewers are not always applying eStar the way it's intended to be. Uh, so like one example I had from somebody who was a reviewer that was trying to apply a refuse to accept policy to it. And I mean, they were doing it incorrectly in the first place, but also eStar is not supposed to have the RTA. That is one of the key advantages of it. There's a technical screening review that Patrick could probably talk about more, uh, but not the RTA. And more recently, I've had one where, uh, where a client had used the automatic 510k summary generation feature, and then the reviewers wanted change it wanted to change the way the information was presented in there and include a table of comparing the substantial equivalence information which can't really be done because the five the automated 510k summary is populated by the text boxes um, in eStar which don't have any formatting abilities but when when you're talking about the 510k summary, you're right at the end of the review process. And so people are probably more inclined just to jump through the hoops that the reviewer wants to get their clearance. Um, but that definitely is something that, that Patrick and his team should be aware of, um, if nothing else, just for training within FDA to make sure that, that the review process goes as it's supposed to. Okay. No, that's really good. Good feedback. And uh, we'll put Patrick's email so that he can doesn't have to take notes and remember during this podcast, but uh, we'll be sure if anybody has comments, they can feel free to email his team. 
Kathy, I kind of cut you off a little bit. You were giving some really good advice on on uh, submitting or putting filling out the the E Star um, template. What, did you have any other thoughts or comments about that? I would I would definitely uh, take the time with your team to walk through the template, especially if it might be your first E Star. And get the project team, who's pr the primary contributors of the information, familiar with the requested content. And then work offline, as we mentioned, create a folder structure that's parallel to the sections that are applicable. Build your content offline, vet it offline, because it's very difficult once it's attached or you have information in text boxes to modify it within the E-STAR. It's just more cumbersome, and then you can't track changes. So... As as the submitter, you want to have absolute faith that the information you're putting in there is what you intend. So if there has been a change and you weren't aware of it, you don't want that to happen. If it does take a little bit getting used to the before eStar was mandatory, we had a couple of submissions where we started writing eCopy and then converted to eStar. That did not work well because eStar is written differently. It's just how the information is provided is chopped up differently. It's also harder when you have a global change. Let's say you decide you're going to change the name of your device and every document is affected. It's much harder to do a global edit. Um, and I don't know, Patrick, if you have any tips on that, but you otherwise you have to go into every single individual attachment and make a change. Whereas in days gone by, that might be a continuous document that you could just do one global search and find and replace. So there are some things that you've got to really know your document. You got to really know how the attachments, the content relates to each other. So if you change something in attachment one, does it affect something in attachment two? So you really do need to understand the connectedness of the information in your submission because you can't do that global seek and find. Okay. Very cool. And Patrick, I didn't know if you wanted to, to comment or. Uh... Oh, sure. Uh, so. Right. Just like with eCopy, you know, you have multiple attachments. If you wanted to change like the name of your device, you know, you'd have to go through and do a search for each of those attachments and changing in each of those. I think that that applies for eCopy the same it would for eStar since eStar has several attachment places like a device description and labeling and so on. Um, as far as within the eStar itself, though, if you change the device name right at the top of the device description section, that change will auto-populate all the places that that device name exists throughout the template, like the 5 k summary, um, in the indications for use form and everything. So, you know, we try to automate it so you only make one change, it applies to everything. But again, within the attachments, can't do that. Uh, there is a place if you have attachments in eStar, if you've already attached them, there is a search in the attachment pane where you can do a search and it'll tell you exactly in what, what attachment and where, you know, a certain term exists. So. You know, be sure you can use that as well to find things within all your attachments if you'd like. Okay, great. Uh, Lisa had mentioned something about the technical review versus RTA. I, I wonder if you could would like to speak to that as well. Sure. Uh, right. So with eCopy before eStar, we had uh, our RTA guidance document, and it involved this long checklist that you'd go, you know, applicants would go through and reviewers would go through when they received. Uh, the submission and this, you know the reviewer would go and check to make sure all these different aspects were provided and eStar has automated that uh, and as long as uh, the responses in eStar are accurate meaning you know if it's electrical device they say yes it's electrical which enables the emc section and other sections um and if they say yes it's got software it actually has software and so on as long as they answer 
uh, those responses accurately and the attachments are relevant so you know when you're providing a device description attachment that includes what that question is asking for you know make sure that your attachment actually is the device description attachment and, and includes that information so as long as you provide accurate responses and relevant attachments we can be sure that that submission is complete comprehensive does everything it needs to do um couldn't do that with e-copy right because it's manually constructed so that's why we have the rta checklist um and so with e-star you know we don't have rta and so the clock you know is not going to get reset as often uh with e-stars because of that and so that is that has been a big difficulty for reviewers because they have relied on that rta the ability to re reset a clock um i can tell you that uh, reviewers actually would typically prefer to have a submission that came in as an e-copy um, that had you know maybe a couple missing things so they could then put it on an rta hold because that resets the clock and gives them more time to actually look at that submission because they can then go back and you know review all the other sections that were actually complete and then get ahead of themselves on this submission that's no longer possible with e-star and that's been i think the one big drawback for reviewers when it comes to e-star is that lack of rta that inability to really put things on uh, you know, reset the clock as often as they used to do. Yeah, so. I appreciate the transparency. I uh, hopefully it will help the the industry start you know putting in a little bit more um, complete submissions at the very least. So, um, yeah, that makes sense. I I should have asked this question at the very beginning, and I don't know who wants to answer it, but who should be using eStar now? Anybody that is submitting a five ten k has to be using eStar now. I mean, 510Ks are the vast majority of the submissions that go into FDA. Close to everybody needs to be using it now. Um, E-Star is voluntary right now for de novo submissions, which are, I'll say, rapidly increasing. Um, I think partly because of the speed of innovation and the finding a good predicate device is getting more challenging. Uh, and it's not yet available, at least for general public, for PMA devices. Uh, I think Patrick could be able to, could speak to where eStar will be going in the future. But for right now, everybody that's submitting a 510K needs to be using eStar. Um, there's, there's also a beta version for pre-subs right now that I think pretty cleverly they termed pre-star. Um, I like that. I, I think that, honestly, I think that one needs a bit of work, but um, look forward to that one evolving just like e-star has. Okay. We'll have to talk about that on another episode. Maybe, maybe we can, and in the last few minutes that we have, I would like to hear uh, maybe where we're going. If you could give a preview of maybe eStar's coming attractions, I was looking at the template and I saw the grayed out pre-market application or PMA section. So uh, maybe start there, or or, or uh, Patrick or whoever wants to to add something about sure. the the future. Yeah, I can do that. Right. So that is coming very soon. Um, PMA content. The PMA content will include uh, PMA originals, uh, 180 days, real times, and panel tracks. Um, and that next update, which will be version 5.0, will also include uh, the cybersecurity guide, which we've been getting requests for and has been delayed for reasons I won't get into. Very soon in the new year, uh, maybe late January, depending on how things work, we've got a little bit of delay with 513G. So the pre-star that Lisa was mentioning, and I'd like to get your input, Lisa, on what you 
think we could do to improve the pre-sub content. Um, but we're going to be adding 513G to that pre-star as well. And then eventually down the road, we'll be adding uh, other Q subtypes to the pre-star and then also eventually uh, IDE originals. And then after that, their supplement types, because we got a whole bunch of different IDE supplement types. Those IDE supplements will be the last thing that gets added into E-star. Uh, maybe one day, maybe not, we'll add HDEs, but we'll see if we get enough pressure, maybe we'll do that. Sure. Um, but that's basically where we're going. And then, of course, we got the international pilot with Health Canada. We're looking at um, adding another jurisdiction or two. Um, so that's coming as well down the road. We'll see how that's going. We know we're in that pilot with Health Canada getting the feedback uh, from the applicants in that right now. So we got to make the changes for that. Um, add IVD into the international spectrum as well. Right now, international pilots only for non-IVD E-Star. So there's a lot of things coming down the road, but yeah, very soon PMA, very soon cybersecurity, and not too much later 513G right now. Very cool. Really appreciate all the work you're doing on this, and uh, I'm excited to see what the future looks like. Are there in the last few minutes that we have? I don't know if we wanted to do a quick round robin. If you have any last comments or tips or recommendations for the listeners, um, kind of as we close out, maybe we could start with you, Kathy. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, there's always a first e-star you're going to do. So it truly is an e-start. So no substitute for just getting started, even if you don't have an immediate 510k on your horizon, to gain familiarity and to be able to advise your internal project teams is really helpful. So if you haven't had a chance, download the template, they're free to do so. And then just start exercising and recognizing how you're going to have to rethink your design and delivery of the content within the E-Star framework. I always like the FDA acronyms, but the puns are even better today. E-Start and Pre-Star. This is really, really cool. Lisa, what about you? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I think the the things I'd like to emphasize is just don't forget to include the advocacy in your E-Star submission. And so start with that executive summary, build the advocacy through all of your attachments and use those built-in help features uh, to help with the QC process of the submission to make sure that you've got all of the information in there to successfully avoid the deficiency questions. Because it, when we've seen E-STARS done right, um, we've seen a drastic reduction in the review time and the number of questions issued so big benefits to be gained there that's awesome to hear patrick do you want to round us out sure uh my big thing is just please feel free to reach out to us at the email address i mentioned earlier uh, any suggestions feedback you know please email us those things if you're having problems with something please let us know um and that's yeah the main thing i want to say and if you have questions you know like we said earlier be sure you know read the website read the faq read in the help text if you still have a question you know please feel free to reach out to us as well about that great thank you all for coming on the podcast those of you who've been listening you've been listening to the global medical device podcast we'll include those links in the show notes so should be sure to check that out and we will see you all next time everybody take care Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, can I ask a special favor from you? Can you leave us a review on iTunes? I know most of us have never done that before, but if you're listening on the phone, look at the iTunes app, scroll down to the bottom where it says leave a review. It's actually really easy. Same thing with computer. Just look for that leave a review button. This helps others find us and it lets us know how we're doing. 
Also, I'd personally love to hear from you on LinkedIn. Reach out to me. I, I read and respond to every message because hearing your feedback is the only way I'm going to get better. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.